Welcome to a very refreshing hour of business talk. This is Game Changing Retail Leaders, presented by SAP, the best run SAP. You'll hear from the leaders who know how to use game-changing technologies and business strategies to anticipate the future, recognize macro trends, and champion innovation in their organizations. Now, here's your host and moderator, Bonnie D. Graham. Welcome, welcome, welcome. If you want to run with the Game Changers, you're in the best place and you're with the best run. Oh, we've got some text noises in the background. Sounds like we're in a train station. Let's see what the buzz is today on the street, or maybe I should say the buzz on the tracks. Okay, here's a quote from Amanda Nicholson, quoted on CNBC, and she says, quote, struggling malls should transform into mixed-use centers to keep people coming in. Malls with empty space should integrate apartment units, health clubs, grocery stores, and upscale restaurants, unquote. What in the world is she talking about? Well, let's look back at a little history in retail. Just last year, 2017, more than 5,000 retail brick-and-mortar stores closed their doors. That's right. And more are on track to join them in that not-happy place this year already in 2018. Why? Why is the answer? Well, we have an easy answer. Of course, we're going to blame it on the e-commerce players, the giants like Amazon. We're going to say they're stealing wallet share from the legacy retailers who still have a storefront. But that's just the easy answer. Let's look a little deeper. How about getting existential? Please bear with me. We're going to talk about the new consumer mindset. Who are we talking about? Well, they've got money. They've got pocket change. They've got plastic. They are the millennials. They're already in their mid-30s. Oh, my. And Gen Zers following closely behind. And what are they doing? They're doing something called showrooming. If you don't know what it is, in 10 minutes or less on a mobile device, they can find more about a product or service than spending an entire day at the mall. And that's that four-letter word we're talking about today, mall, M-A-L-L. What's the handwriting on the mall? Legacy retailers need an online presence, a good one, a strong one, a viable one, an attractive one, an omni-channel one. But... They also need to transform those buildings full of stuff, and I'm putting stuff in quotes, into buildings full of social destinations. That just might do the trick. So welcome to the second episode of one of our brand new series, Game Changing Retail Leaders Radio, presented by SAP. I'm Bonnie D. Graham, as the man said, and let's see who our special panelists are today. We have got a power-packed panel. First up, in just a moment, I'll be introducing you to Robin Lewis. He was on our debut episode a few weeks ago. He's the founder and CEO of The Robin Report, and he tells it like it is. Joining him on the panel is Paul R. Sharon. I'll spell his last Last name C-H-A-R-R-O-N. He has many, many titles, but the ones we're talking about today are he's the former chairman and CEO of Liz Claiborne, Inc. You all know who that is. And the former chair of the board of Campbell Soup, two big-time brand names we all recognize. Rounding out the panel is Rick Barber, North American Industry Advisor for Fashion Retail at SAP. Welcome to my three panelists. I know you're all very busy, and I appreciate your taking the time to join me. So we're going to start, as usual, with the inspirational quotes my panelists have sent me before the show and first up Robin Lewis has sent a wonderful me one two three four five six seven eight nine ten twelve little words that pack a punch anybody remember reading early early literature how about a tale of two cities by Charles Dickens it was published in 1859 Wikipedia says it was 341 pages I don't know if there's a digital version or not uh, Robin but it tells the story of the French doctor Manette and his 18-year imprisonment in the Bastille in Paris and his 
relief to life at London with his daughter Lucy, whom he had never met, and on and on, and the Defarges get in there somewhere. Here is the quote. It's a beautiful one. It was the best of times. It was the worst of times. Robin Lewis, I missed you. It's been three weeks. How have you been? Well, I miss you, Bonnie. You're very sweet. <laughs> we can play this game. <laughs> talk, talk to me about your quote, Robin. I love it. What does it have to do with oh, yeah. malls? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, you know, Dickens was really providing an analysis of the um, disruptive state of affairs in 18th century England as well as in France. So, you know, regarding our team, I can't think of a better comparison to the disruptive state of this industry of uh, the state of affairs at this intersection where the old world retail is meeting this new world tech-armed consumer. So I, I, I think a parallel phrase is appropriate here. <clears throat> I would say that it is the most exciting of times. It is the most challenging of times. Exciting because of the enormous opportunity, really, for, for retailers today to totally transform their businesses for the better, but most challenging because of the necessity to do so. Um, and it is not easy, as we are seeing, <clears throat> but, but there are no options. You either do transform or you die today. So that's, that's the relevance to our theme. Thank you very much, Robin. Do you agree with my opening? I quoted a lady named Amanda Nicholson on CNBC who said malls should incorporate apartments and health clubs and grocery stores and upscale restaurants. Oh, yeah. I think, do you think that's that's the way to go? Is that the path to to stay well, alive? Yeah, and I think yeah, and I think you're gonna as we get into the discussion, you're gonna hear that <clears throat> that kind of uh, observation repeated in several different ways. Absolutely. Thank she, you very much. Right Just on. wanted. To, do a reality check there, Robin. Again, welcome back. And now we have two newcomers, Paul R. Sharon. And Paul has sent me a quote. It's debatable, the source of the quote, but we're going to go with Sir Winston Churchill because he is the one popularly attributed for this quote. Sir Winston Leonard Spencer Churchill, a lot of names, was a British politician, army officer, writer, and the prime minister of the UK from 1940 to 45 and 51 to 55. He was widely considered one of the 20th century's most significant figures figures and a victorious wartime leader in defending liberal democracy. Let's just leave it at that. Here's the quote that Paul has selected. A pessimist sees the difficulty in every opportunity. An optimist sees the opportunity in every difficulty. Paul R. Sharon, should I keep the R or shall we just do Paul? How are you? Um, Paul is much better. Um, I just signed my checks with R. Um, <laughs> okay, Paul, well, welcome to Game Changers, and we're thrilled to have you on. I love the quote. I don't care where it came from. It was attributed to some mayor of a small town 20 years before, before Churchill said it, but let's just go with Churchill. Why did you pick this quote for our topic today? Well, well, I'm fascinated by Churchill. I'm fascinated by the period of uh, uh, the Second World War, and he was arguably uh, the most important individual for four or five years in the world. Uh, he did, I believe, save a Western democracy. And one of the things that he did was he was he was very, very articulate, and he was very much an optimist. And as I think about the challenges that we have in the retail space, uh, and the challenges in particular that the leaders of the companies in the retail space have before them, 
I would say something to the effect that pessimists and naysayers cannot write a bright future. Mm -hmm. They sure can get in the way, however. Uh, You have to be an optimist. Uh, You have to have an optimistic outlook in order to begin the journey uh, to the next better place that Robin was describing. Uh, Then you have to troubleshoot the roadmap. You have to share the directions. And you have to plan for contingencies. You can't do any of that unless you're what might be called a resourceful optimist. Mm-hmm. So that's why I, I picked uh, Churchill because I liked him, like the period he set it in, and I think it had relevance to the task at hand. It certainly does. And Paul, did you see the recent movie, The Darkest Hour? No, I didn't. I'm oh, sorry to say. You, you got to find it. You're in for I a will. treat. I think I will. you will really enjoy it. The settings, the the characterization of Churchill, the behind the scenes, his influences from his wife, the woman who supposedly was the secretary he hired. It's very well done. I think I think as a, a Churchill follower, you will enjoy it. Let me know after you see it. Okay. I've, I've written it down. Okay, good. I want you to. <laughs> that, that's not. We don't give homework assignments here, but I think you'll enjoy it. And now let me go to Rick Barber after we've had some optimism and some upbeat phrases from our first two panelists. Rick Barber at SAP has sent me a quote from, well, who who to be more optimistic than Lou Holtz, Louis Leo Holtz, 1937 birth, and he's still around at 81 years old, American former football player, coach, and analyst. He had a career record of, two, somebody's going to know what this means, 241, 249-132-7. His 1988 Notre Dame team went 12 with a victory in the Fiesta Bowl, and he was the only college football coach to lead six different programs to bowl games and the only coach to guide four different programs to the final top 20 ranking. So let's say winner. Here's the quote that Rick has selected from the lore of Lou Holtz. Quote, ability is what you're capable of doing. Motivation determines what you do. Attitude determines how well you do it. Rick Barber, how are you? I'm great, Bonnie. How are you today? Well, it's very kind of you to ask. I'm wonderful because I'm talking to three very smart gentlemen who certainly know their stuff, and I know you do. So why don't you tell me how you picked a quote from a football coach about a show about malls and retail. What's going on? Well, I uh, grew up playing a lot of sports. I have three very active young boys, so coaching and and sports is an integral part of, of my life and my family's life. But I think when you think about what Paul and what Robin talked about, it's about facing challenges and how you're going to face them. And I've learned over the years, and my children have I've hopefully instilled that in, it's all about your attitude, right? You've got the God-given ability to figure this out. Most retailers do. Uh, they certainly have motivation by looking in the newspaper and understanding that. You can go into the future kicking and screaming, or you can embrace it, and you can make that change your own. And that's really where I thought, you know, that Lou Holtz comment was most applicable to this situation. Thank you, Rick. And let me ask you a question. We're talking about the survival of the shopping mall today. We're talking about why should anybody go to a mall. And we've talked about the best of times and the worst of times and being an optimist versus a pessimist. But we have to talk a little bit about technology. I think it was either Robin or uh, or Paul a moment ago talked about the the savvy, digitally connected consumer 
who is the one who's going to really make these decisions for the retailer. So what's your thought about ability, motivation, attitude? What's going to win for those brick and mortar that are sitting in malls and saying, what, nobody's here yet? It's noon. So who's going to do that? Yeah, I think the customer is going to do that. And I think the the retailer that is willing to listen to her, we always use the phrase it as, in my past mm-hmm. life, and retail her, right, because the dominant is shopper as a woman. She's Agreed. willing to tell you digitally all you need to know about her. She gives you information about her selling history, her size, her family. If you're able to listen to that, and the retailers that do will have people beating a path to their doors. It's all about connecting with the customer, giving them a reason to make you a valuable part of their life. And if you think about it, you made a quote before uh, about the 5,000 stores that closed. The reality Mm -hmm. is for every store that closed, two stores opened last year in retail. So people don't think about that. They may have been very different than the stores they replaced, but more people opened retail outlets than closed them last year. That part you don't read about in the in the newspapers, but that's the reality of where we're at today. It's the precipice of a new age in retail. Thank you very much. I want to just circle back around to Paul and get you to comment, Paul, on, on what Rick just shared with us. Agree or disagree, this new age of shopping and the digitally connected consumer is she, and I know we use the female gender for shoppers in general. I, I accept that, guys. So, Paul, any comments you would de- agree or disagree with what Rick just shared? Well, I think there are certainly challenges, uh, but the challenges in retail are the same challenges that are faced in other industries. How would you like to be in the healthcare business or in the chemical business today? Um, I know a lot of people in the packaged goods business. How would you like to be dealing with the issues that Coke and Pepsi are dealing with where they're mm-hmm. shipping um, liquid in, in cans? Um, household good companies like uh, Procter and uh, food products companies like General Mills, Campbell's, and Kraft. Everything is changing. The technology is moving so rapidly. Consumer behavior is uh, changing very, very rapidly. And we don't really understand what these consumers, the millennials and the Gen uh, Zs, are going to be like in 10 more years. Are they going to be, I would predict, they're more going to be more like their parents were than, mm-hmm. more than they are like their children. Uh, when they reach 40s and 50s and even into the 60s. So I think, uh, uh, I, think I agree with Rick, but I would say that the, the, uh, the issues that we're dealing with in retail are very, very similar to the issues we're dealing with in other industries. We seem to bemoan these issues much more in retail and other industry executives seem to uh, just uh, roll their sleeves up and, and get to work. Interesting. Is that a, a persona? What? You've just, is that a persona? Robin, I think you want to chime in. Go ahead, Robin. Yeah, no, I, I agree with everything Paul's saying. I think uh, the, in my opinion, I would put the spin on the consumer as the consumer is going to force this change mm-hmm. and those those retailers and brands that are uh, smart enough to understand what they're pushing for will change as we have said <clears throat> um, but the, but the other thing Paul said is also an interesting perspective because 
Uh, I was sitting with a CEO a couple months ago, and he said the same thing. He said, you know, we know all the stuff's going on, and we're pretty close to the consumer. We know what we're doing. Um, but he said what we don't know, this is Paul's point, is <laughs> what this consumer is going to be like in 10 to 15 years. Mm-hmm. Um, and he said most likely these millennials and Gen Zers will be forming families, and as Paul said, perhaps some of their uh, needs during that period, some, some of their, their wants will be to form families and move to the suburbs perhaps. But guess what? By the time the 10, 10 and 15 years rolls around, uh, the retailers will have made these changes or they won't be around. Mm-hmm. Interesting. I I do wonder what they're all going to be like. And it still shocks me to know that the leading edge of millennials are already in their 30s. They are managers. They are bosses. They've got disposable income. Some of them have young families already. They have a lot of discretionary money. When they go shopping, they're not looking at bargain basement. They're looking at good stuff. And they want that available. But we all know they want personalized and they want authenticity. And they want to buy from companies that share their values of social good. And they want jobs that make them happy more than just the salary. I just did a show this morning on my Coffee Break with Game Changers series talking about how the work, definition of work, and the definition of the workforce have changed, and companies that stick with the old pay-for-work compensation model, uh uh-uh, they're not going to get the top talent anymore, just as a sidebar. So you know what? It's time for us to circle around the table, and let's start with Robin Lewis, and I'm going to ask some up-close and personal questions, but I promise they're not too personal unless you want to share. Robin knows what's coming. I want to know, where are you today in the world? And Robin, what's the beverage, the drink, that makes you the happiest? (laughs) Go ahead. I know You can't tell me what you told me three weeks ago. I want something new. Go ahead. <laughs> Sorry. No, I, I, I can't. Uh, no, I mean, what is my favorite? First of all, I'm in New York, New York City. Okay. And so, from time to time, you might hear some sirens or something. Anyway, um, no, my favorite drink has a cute story behind it, which um, I have to tell. All right. In second grade, the teacher said to kids, "You know, draw a picture of what your dad." Your dad's favorite pastime is when he's not working, what he likes to do. So, you know, a couple of kids drew tennis rackets. Another one drew bicycle. A couple of them, you know, drew golf balls. My sweet little darling uh, draws a picture of a martini glass with an ollie. So I did not know whether to laugh or say, is this what she thinks of me? (laughs) Put that drug. That's my favorite beverage. Thank you, Robin. We will always remember that. I appreciate that. Paul, Sharon, where are you today? And what do you love to drink? You're probably extremely well-traveled, I would imagine, with your great credits in the retail industry, many big companies over many years, and I'm sure many miles. So in your travels, have you found a drink that just lights up the room? Or you? Yeah, uh, um I was in Paris not too long ago at the George Sank, and uh, in the bar, I went in and watched the bartender behind the bar. He was obviously an artist, and he made a cosmopolitan in a, a little, and he served it in a little glass or a cup, if you will, 
mm-hmm. that look like a, a shrimp cocktail container just filled with uh, crushed ice. And it was a beautiful, beautiful presentation uh, that I particularly liked. As I'm sure you know, Bonnie, uh, Cosmo is a, a yes. good dose of vodka, a dash of triple sec, and a dash of, uh, of cranberry. And I like the, the simplicity and the clarity of the drink and the uh, presentation. But I also liked the punch. And I think that for retail executives, in fact, for executives of any uh, particular industry, what you need today is you need to think and communicate with simplicity and clarity, but you need to have some punch. Of course, I recognize that if you have uh, two or three cosmos, why you may not be thinking <laughs> clearly. And but you, you may, may be thinking punchy. Walls. You may be punchy. <laughs> yeah, you would definitely be punchy. <laughs> Paul, you know, I'm thinking of my introduction to, well, the popularity of the Cosmopolitan, I think, soared with Sex in the City. Am I right? The little pink drink? Was that I what they were all I drinking? Don't, oh, yeah. I don't watch shows like that. Oh, it was a long time ago. You'll forgive me. I, I bought the full set on DVD, and I put it in the shelf, and I have no idea where it is. You know, once around the block was enough with them. But I think, Robin, I think you, you agree. Cosmo was the, the big drink on uh, Sex in the City, correct? As I recall, yep. As I recall. See, he's vaguely admitting that he watched the yeah, but- show. We won't get any more personal than that. And let's go around before we embarrass anybody. Thank you, Paul. Rick Barber, where are you today, and what do you love to drink, or what catches your attention? I uh, am in New York, the retail capital of the world, um, and my drink is a little more pedestrian than that, but it has a lot of meaning to me. I drink a lot of coffee. One, as I intimated before, I have three little boys, so it keeps me very busy. Uh, I don't get enough sleep, so that's about all the punch I could probably take, although I was taking notes while Paul was talking, because I definitely need to figure that one out, uh, the <laughs> punch, the Cosmo with the punch, because uh, now I know what I've been doing wrong. But, you know, it always reminds me of sitting down with my dad, who worked a lot of hours, um, and my family, we always sat around the table and would have coffee and talk about things. And as I've traveled the world and buying roles and different things, it always seemed to be the moment when we all sat and had coffee, no matter what the culture was or where we were, when people would sit around and philosophize about business or ideas or strategies over a cup of coffee. So I drink a whole lot of coffee. I now have a few of my sons that will actually get up early in the morning and sit and have a quiet cup of coffee with me and we'll talk about their day or about school. So I'm having a cup of coffee like I will be found most days doing throughout the entire day. Well, I'm glad to hear that. You want to give me a flavor? Do you have a special coffee? Do you take it what we used to call high test? Anybody who lives in New York remembers the days of, of gas stations, and you'd say, fool it up high test. That's what my dad used to say. Exactly. Do you take your coffee high uh, test? <laughs> I like it as strong as possible. My wife finds it to, to be repulsive, but to me, it's, it's, it's good. The stronger it is, the better it is. I agree with you. Couldn't agree more. However, I have a secret to tell. Well, Robin may remember, but Paul and Rick don't know me. They don't let me anywhere near caffeine on radio show days, and I think you figured out why already. So I'm only allowed to drink water, so I have a Cool Clear mug of Cool Clear water from my Brita filter. Nothing more pedestrian than that. I have two straws today. I have a green straw because it's beautiful here. Actually, we're we're struggling through mid-90s almost every day here in Durham, North Carolina, and, and Paul and Robin and Rick, I am a native New Yorker, and I just left Great Neck 
Long Island about 10 months ago to move here to Durham, and it's quite a culture shock, I got to tell you. But what's interesting to me is that little things cost more here than they did on Long Island. Can you believe a basic manicure was 10 bucks in Great Neck? Yes, Great Neck, and here it's $17. Seriously? Wow. Every- I know, I know. So I avoided that like the plague. Hair, hair dressing and hair coloring, you don't want to know how many big bills get dropped for that one once a month. It's outrageous how much things cost here. An eye exam, an eye exam and having lenses replaced in two sets of frames that I already owned cost over $600 just to get out of the eye place without buying a single frame. Talk about reach. And they tried their best to sell me. But what can I tell you? At those prices for an exam and lenses, what are you going to do? So we're going to take a quick break now that we've done a little bit of smashing of current retail down here where I live in the South. I'm thrilled to be speaking today with Robin Lewis of the Robin Report. Paul Sharon, formerly of, oh my goodness, so many companies, Liz Claiborne, Campbell Soup, former chairman of the board, and Rick Barber at SAP. We'll be right back, and when we come back, we're going to take a really deep dive into our topic today. My guests have sent me some really interesting notes, and we're going to see where we're going to take the roundtable. So if you're just tuning in, this is Game Changing Retail Leaders Radio, presented by SAP, and our topic of the day is Retail State of the Union, dot, 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 why shop at a mall, dot, 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 anymore, question mark. So don't even think of touching that mouse, that app, that dial. We'll be right back 90 seconds. Count them along with us. Aaron out. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Organizations that act with purpose can impact the greater social world. In doing so, they can also improve their bottom line, boost morale among employees, find it easier to attract top talent, and overall, make the world around them a better place. Purpose is everywhere, and we will help you align your organization to move forward with renewed purpose and vigor, enabling it to thrive in the short term and long term. Join our experts as they analyze and discuss how purpose-driven organizations can lead to a better present and future for everyone. Game Changers with Purpose is presented by SAP. Visit SAP.com. Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. Listening to Game Changing Retail Leaders, presented by SAP. Email your comments and questions to bonnie.d.gram at sap.com. And you're invited to tweet during and after the live show at Twitter hashtag SAPRADIO. Now, let's get back to Game Changing Retail Leaders. Yes, indeed. We're back talking about the existence, the survival, the thriving of the mall, the shopping mall. When was the last time you were in a mall? Are you one of those showrooming people? You use your mobile device and you sit there and you click and you pop and you go, oh, what should I buy? What should I buy? And then you can get all the information you want on your phone and maybe you'll buy it online. Maybe you'll go to a brick and mortar. Who knows? We're talking about the changes in 
Oh, we're getting a lot of echo here, Aaron. Changes in the consumer habits, the digitalization of shopping, and who will survive in legacy retailers. Robin Lewis, The Robin Report, Paul Sharon, formerly Liz Claiborne, Rick Barber, SAP. So let's do a deep dive into our first topic here from Robin Lewis, and here's what Robin told me. The most neurological addictive experiences are those that are co-created by both a proactive customer and the retailer interacting in a mutually created experience. Robin, I love it, but I'm not sure what it means, so why don't you translate for us, please? Well, I have no idea. (laughs) 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 Uh, I just thought thought neurological connectivity sounded so uh, out there. It does. (laughs) No, seriously, um, it's a big deal. But, Bonnie, also, um, it's not just the malls. It's why why go shopping in malls. It's also uh, why go shopping in stores as well. I mean, it's the same thing. Mm -hmm. Um, Anyway, but I just wanted to throw that in there. um, Because we are going to be talking about stores, at least I am for this particular question. Mm -hmm. Um, So... In my first co-authored book, The New Rules of Retail, uh, neurological <clears throat> connectivity was one of the three strategies that we pointed out that re- it was necessary for retailers to employ for success in the future for survival. Um, the other two strategies for success being preemptive distribution, which I coined, and uh, value chain control. Just very quickly, preemptive distribution um, is the need to preempt the competition by getting your product, brand, or service in front of the consumer first, faster, and more often than these thousands of equally compelling competitors in, in this overstored world. So that was one. The other uh, strategy of value chain control, uh, we um, <clears throat> find that the value chain had to be in total control of the brand of the retailer, or you could not deliver neurologically connecting experiences or preemptive distribution. Uh, so, on to neurological connectivity. This, this is all about creating an experience that goes way beyond just connecting emotionally with a consumer um, to actually triggering a release of dopamine, which mm. most of you probably know is a chemical in the brain, when released uh, in an exciting moment in your life or with a great experience, when released, it gives you a feeling of euphoria, well-being, uh, it's, it's, it's excitement and fun and so forth. Anyway, and the most intense of these types of experiences are those <clears throat> that we said are co-created by the consumer and the retailer. And I'll give you a couple examples. Um, Nike builds part of a basketball court in their store and invites the customer to try out a pair of basketball shoes in real time. So when you enter an Apple store, for example, you proactively engage mm-hmm. with a you know, blue-shirted expert and enjoy you a learning bet. experience. You go to... Lululemon yogurt meditation class. You are, as a consumer, proactively sharing and co-creating that experience. So, and each time you co-create that experience, you are 
shaping it to your mood of the moment, okay? Mm -hmm. So each time you do this, it is unique. And so what that does is it makes you want to come back to that experience over and over and over again to become addicted in a way. So, you know, Lululemon addict, if you will, or Starbucks addict will, will travel way across town to get their fix when there might be a yoga wear shop or coffee shop across the street. So the, these are the types of experiences that retailers and brands are going to have to get as close as possible to. In other words, engaging their consumer in a proactive, interactive way. And emotional, it sounds like to me, too. I'd love to get Paul Sharon's comments on this. Paul, agree or disagree with what Robin just shared? What do you think? Well, I love Robin, and I'm a dedicated follower of the Robin reports, but I don't agree with everything Robin says. Good. I'm kind, of, I'm, I'm kind of with you when you said, what the heck does that mean? Okay, um, thank, thank I mean, you, Paul. I mean, I understand Paul. what Robin said, but I don't think we know enough about these millennials and uh, Gen Z types who are now moving into their maturity. And we certainly don't know um, uh, what they're going to be like in, uh, in 10 to 20 years. So essentially dropping your hook on uh, neurological, neurologically addictive uh, experiences, uh, I think, is uh, risking. Uh, there's a lot of risk in that because if you get that wrong, if that's not the, mm-hmm. the nirvana that you hope it is uh, there are so many other things that retailers need to do uh, this is a very very insular industry uh, the not invented here syndrome is alive and well I spent a lot of time in other industries and came to retail and was amazed at how little best practicing was going on I contend that the challenges that retailers face today are pretty similar to the challenges that people in other industries face. I don't think you need to get too fancy. I think you need to get closer to your consumer. I think you need to be consumer-centric. I think people like uh, Lululemon are doing a great job. But just because Lulu has uh, yoga classes and uh, Nike has a basketball court in the store doesn't mean that that's the panacea. So I think that change has to take place. across the whole retail spectrum. Are you interrupting me again, Robin? (laughs) Robin, 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 I I want to give Rick a chance to chime in on this. I want to go all the way around the... Is that okay? Let me get Rick Barber. Paul, thank you very much. Rick Barber, you got to join here, and then we'll see what's going on. Go ahead, Rick. Yeah, this is a tough audience to follow, these two guys. But, you know, I I think one of the things, too, and Paul Paul, uh, hit on something very interesting. Retail is a very insular business. Uh, again, I grew up in it starting at 16 years old, working at a haberdashery in my hometown, you know, through many other, you know, major retailers in the country. And <clears throat> there's almost a mentality that, well, I don't really need to fix it. I can just have another sale. Or I can put another coupon out there. And as they talk about experience, which has become the new buzzword, you know, in all levels of retail, that we're going to create experiences for people mm-hmm. to come into. Paul's right. They just need to understand what their customers want and need and how to make their lives easier in getting those goods or those fashion or whatever that is that they're looking for. Um, and how do, they, how do they understand the health of the store, the, 
topic today is why go to a mall or why go to a store. Mm-hmm. All stores and, and, and retailers measure the productivity of a physical plant by sales per square foot. When you have experiences that are replacing sales, how do you gauge the health of your business? And it causes a whole other conversation about how do we judge successful retailers from unsuccessful retailers if we're not gauging them on sales and profitability? I hate to throw that one out there in the middle of that, but it's you know a topic that's come up a lot lately that oh, yeah. we're all struggling to figure out how to, how to benchmark success when there isn't actually a cash register transaction involved in it. Very interesting. Now, Robin, now, Robin, go in and pounce. Go ahead. We're yeah. ready for you. <laughs> no, real quickly. The only thing I would, would, would argue is that, uh, first of all, this is it, it, not the panacea, okay? Mm-hmm. None of us would disagree that experiences are necessary in these physical stores, but the experience is, is broadly interpreted. I mean, it's interpreted in a thousand different ways. Um, the reason I throw out Lululemon and Apple and Nike is that they did shape their experience to their customers and their products. So, and they did it in such a way that it 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 invites the consumer to be proactively engaged, and that that then becomes my definition of neuro connecting with the consumer's mind in a very very strong way. Oh, thank goodness. Thank goodness we got back to that. I have a little story to share with the three of you, if I may. Just a little anecdote. Uh, Back in the late 90s, I was, as a hobby, just because I was bored, I was doing stand-up comedy, and I had my own troupe, and we approached a name-brand bookstore, one of the big ones. It starts with B. We will leave it there. And I approached managers of different branches of that store on Long Island, and there were quite a few. And these are massive, massive, with huge parking lots. Anybody knows um, uh, the Roosevelt Field Mall, former Roosevelt, but it's now uh, Old Country Road is where it is now. And I approached them, and I said, let me bring in a comedy troupe of eight or ten comics. We'll each do about ten minutes. You know, we'll bring a karaoke system if you don't have a mic. We'll do it in your cafe. We'll be a major attraction. It'll Now, this is before any of us were having this particular conversation today, okay, before we talked about experiences. And I said, all you have to do is just pay me and my, my co-producer here some cash and give me gift certificates. And they said, great, we'll give all the members of your troop gift certificates, but we'll give you a couple bucks for you and the other producer. We said, fine. So we went in, and I got to tell you, Newsday promoted this. It was a Memorial Day weekend. People came by the hundreds. I mean the hundreds. Free comedy show at the bookstore. They'd never, never experienced this before. They brought beach chairs. They brought everything. And they basically camped out an hour before we took the stage. Well, I asked the manager how we did, and she was mad at me. And I said, why? Do you want to know why? Because she didn't sell any coffee or bakery goods in the cafe that night because people were having so much fun listening to the comics. Nobody was getting up off their chair and going to buy anything. So that was, to me, that was what we're talking about is bringing in experiences. We brought it in, but we didn't, weren't thinking about them all. We weren't thinking. This is back in the late 90s, for God's sake. Nobody was thinking about any of this getting into the head. Or were they? Robin, report, how long have you been around? Were, were retailers thinking about getting into the head and creating experiences? Did we even know that word in the mid-90s, late well, 90s, Robin? They've been talking about it for a long time, probably 20 years, more than 20 years, um, but they weren't. The, the more 
advanced in their thinking, the, the, the more advanced um, strategists did begin to develop, you know, their their experiences. I mean, Starbucks very early on, you know, decided that that, that it wasn't just the coffee; it was the mm-hmm. the experience and the environment. And the, yes, he got his inspiration from Italy. Um, anyway, the more advanced guys out there in the retail industry did begin to form experiences. Um, I mean, Abercrombie & Fitch was an early on uh, experience for young, cool, sexy kids. Um, you know, there were many others, but it, didn't, it, it now has become a necessity. It now has become a necessity for the brick-and-mortar world. Thank you. And speaking of necessity... I don't think it's going to do any good for Sears. Paul, Paul, you you sent me something interesting in your notes before the show, and I think this is a perfect time to segue here. So let me just read these notes, and then we can talk about this. I think it's a good place to go. You say, for the traditional big box or department store retailers to survive, it's going to require a visionary, radical leader at the very top and radical thinkers and innovative doers, you put doers in quotes, throughout the organization to radically transform their old models into compelling must-go-to destinations for the new young consumer base. So I don't typically ask questions, Paul, but I'd love to know who is this leader? Are they out there? Do they exist? Do they have a title? Or are they going to be grown from the the optimists in the retail world today? Where are the le- these leaders coming from? Well, I think uh, that... Uh that there are visionary leaders. Not every store um, is uh, is uh, uh, every brand name uh, is closing doors. Uh, I think uh, Howard Schultz has certainly been a visionary leader. Uh, he's mm-hmm. uh, inspired a culture. Uh, I think Doug McMillan at Walmart is doing all the right things. I have a lot of confidence in Jeff in Jeff Gannett. I look at the hires. I look at the way he's uh, reallocating his space. Um, the fellow at uh, at uh, Best Buy, uh, uh, Carol uh, uh, at uh, at TJ Maxx, did a wonderful job. These are all very successful retailers. We read a lot about the doors closing. Many of them are doors that should be closed. Ah. These retailers who have fuzzy positioning and bad management and no unique point of difference shouldn't be around. We have way too many stores. So I think that leaders do exist in the industry. Uh, I think they have to be optimistic. I think they have to uh, have deviant thinkers in their midst, or they have to find ways to stimulate themselves in their organization. They have to be open-minded, and they have to have the ability to communicate uh, to engage uh, their colleagues. But I think they're, I think they're there. As uh, you know, and, and Rick made the comment about... Uh, about the uh, uh, insular nature of retailing. It's a fundamentally different world. We have to let it evolve. Thank you. Very interesting. I want to get Rick Barber's thoughts on this, and then we'll ask Robin to chime in. Rick, agree? What do you think about these leaders, these innovative, radical thinkers? Are they are there enough out there? And are there too many stores? Paul said something very controversial. Go ahead, Rick. Uh, that's a couple of controversies to, to handle. So the first I'll deal with is, is the talent. I think the talent is out there, and I think as the next generation of retailers continues to grow through the ranks, you see that sort of inspired clean slate when they come to a conversation. 
they don't look at things under the context of the way things were done. These are the generation that grew up with Amazon online and, and Spotify and all the other ways to get things done. So they applied that thought process to their own shopping experience, like any good retailer, and they're making the kinds of changes that, um, you know, Paul was talking about. Um, from a store perspective, there have been too many stores in America since the 80s. Uh, I grew up in the world when you could continue to keep opening stores. You could, uh, you know, do mergers and acquisitions and, and combine back of the house, report positive earnings. And it didn't really matter that you weren't growing the top line or that there were stores that probably didn't need to be in certain marketplaces. They could be um, handled by stores you already had. But you acquired it in an acquisition, so you're going to make the best of it. Uh, I think what you're seeing today is the right-sizing of the market. Um, mm. it, it, separate from the impact of e-commerce and the ability to deliver goods anywhere on the planet within a few days, um, you're seeing the market shift to the right number of doors now because it has to. And um, at some point in the near future, that will level out very quickly. Um, and you will see, as we talked about before, more stores opening in a very different manner, uh, maybe in a different venue, but there'll be retail stores out there. Uh, they just may look a little different than they are today. Hope that answers that, Bonnie. It sure did. Thank you, Rick. Robin Lewis, I know you want to chime in on this. Thoughts? Agree or disagree? Let's start out with what Paul said about that visionary yeah. leader at the top. Go ahead. Yeah, I, I agree with most of what Paul, <clears throat> what Paul and Rick have said. Um, in fact, I will emphasize the overstored situation. Since the 1980s, uh, I've been speaking publicly when I was at Women's Wear Daily, and one of my opening comments every single time was uh, pointing out that we are overstored. In fact, today we have like 26 square feet of retail space for every man, woman, and child in this country. To give that context, Canada is probably the runner-up with about nine square feet. So, but I would push back a little on the fact that we're right-sizing because, uh, in fact, Rick, as you mentioned earlier, with all the store closings, there were almost as many openings. However, they were openings in the outlet sector, in the off-price sector, which gives you an indication of uh, the deflationary situation in this industry. Uh, we're still too overcapacity. And if you try to add all the hundreds of websites that go up every single week, it just compounds that situation. So I don't see that going away for a long time. And it does put downward pressure on prices and margins. Now, in terms of, um, I totally agree with Paul. I think the CEOs he mentioned uh, uh, are visionaries. I think they are committed to doing radical things for change, transformation, which they know they've got to do. Now, the big issue is, um, are they finding the people throughout their value chain, new people, the people throughout their value chain, whether it's uh, from sourcing to distribution to marketing to, to design or whatever, are they getting the radical thinkers and doers at that level? And two, are they giving them the freedom and the funds and the backing they need to get these things done. I think in all those retailers that Paul mentioned, I think they are. Um, and by the way, in fact, uh, the Robin Report is is setting up an awards program for 
radical thinkers and doers that exist within these huge traditional legacy big box stores and brands. Uh, we celebrate these young, tech-driven upstarts every day of the week. But what about all these unspoken, unseen, radical thinkers and doers that are within Macy's, within Walmart? Within So the Robin Report is setting up an awards program where we're going to identify um, these radical thinkers and doers and get them to apply for the program. And, um, you know, what judges, hopefully Paul will be a judge. And at the end of this, we'll, we'll, we'll announce a big winner next spring in uh, Las Vegas at a big gala. But uh, this, and, and by the way, their job is much more complex than these young upstarts. These young upstarts are getting funding. That they're free to do whatever they want. Nine out of ten of them will not make it. However, I've said that the one out of thousands of tens, if you will, that do make it are going to are going to be a formidable. Uh, competition against, you know, the legacy guys. Thank you, Robin. You know what? We're technically at the crystal ball predictions round of the show, but I'm going to do something a little different. Rick Barber, we didn't get to your talking points, but I know that you blended in many of your good points into the conversation where we started out with something from Robin and something from Paul. But there's one. I want you to do a prediction on the following, if you don't mind. I'm going to give you a starting point here. So take about 90 seconds, and then we'll get a 60-second from uh, Robin, and then we'll end with a 60-second prediction from Paul. So, Rick, you say technology. Technology is replacing gut when it comes to decision-making. Retailers who truly embrace technology to drive decisions will win and survive. Those merely talking about it, hoping to check the box, will not survive. I'm thinking, of course, of machine learning and artificial intelligence. So could you blend those those technologies into a prediction for me, please, Rick? I hate to leave the witness, but I thought it would be a good idea to get this out there. So talk to me. 30, 60 seconds, 90 seconds, go. Yeah, you know, I grew up in a in a retail world where having a good gut merchant and a calculator could get you through some of the toughest times. Uh, when you look at the retailers who are successful today, the Amazons, the Stitch Fixes of the world, they start with analytics. Um, you can send a merchant to market and they can come back and say, I think red is going to be super hot next year because I see it everywhere in the marketplace. When you meet a, when you meet a buyer or a merchant from one of these new analytic-driven retailers, they don't actually have a very formed opinion about what's going to be hot and what's not, but what they are doing is taking all that data their customers giving them and, t- and telling you specifically that actually blue is going to be very important. I need this many blue dresses in this many places at this time of day and in this uh, configuration. Can you please make that happen? And they're the ones who are winning. So when you, when you say you're going to include data analytics or just the, the sheer amount of data that a customer will give you into your thought process, but you do it after you've already made your decision about what you think is going to be important, um, you're going to lose. And it was a great quote by um, uh, Mickey Drexler from the uh, J. Crew who said, you know, what happened? Um, and he said, I failed to listen to the customer. I thought I could tell them what they wanted to wear as opposed to listening to them and giving them what they were asking for. And that's what I mean if you embrace data and, and technology, you can win. If you don't, you may wind up in the same place that Mickey did. Thank you very much. Great prediction in there with a little technology coding it around. Robin Lewis, 60 seconds. They're all yours. Go predict, please. What, what do you want from me, the future? I want, uh, of course I want the future. I want to know, where are you and I going to be tomorrow? No, I want the future. I want you to look into the crystal ball. Yeah. Why don't you give me the state of the mall in 2020? Let's go there. 
Well, they don't, first of all, there's going, to be, there's going to be four platforms, okay? And um, the mall, in conjunction with all of the shops within it or all of the activities within it, uh, will survive. There are probably 300 of them out there now. But the other 900 large ones will either have to repurpose themselves or they're going to be out of business. But so the pl four platforms that will be in the future, one will be physical locations, not called stores anymore or malls. They'll be either mono brands like Apple, Starbucks, Lululemon, Warby Parker, <clears throat> or multi-brands like Macy's, Nordstrom, Costco, Walmart, and there'll be mom and pop independents. But now all of these formats <clears throat> will be experiential in some way. Uh, contiguous to what their brand stands for, and there'll be destinations for that reason. And they will also, all of them will be online, be omnichannel. Second platform. Robin, you're almost out of your 60 be, seconds, and I need 60 oh, seconds God. for Paul. On, Get, come on. Online, on. Okay. online second, uh, third, verbal and video commerce, and fourth, everybody will have a 3D printer. I love it. I love it. Paul Sharon, I saved 60 seconds for you. That's all we've got. Go ahead. Further thinning of the store ranks, and that's not a bad thing. Put some of these stores that have no unique reason for being, no distinctive positioning, put them out of their misery. Second, I do believe that the millennials and Gen Z types, as they grow and mature, will adopt the attitudes and the values that are more like their parents, not like their kids. Third, I think technology will continue to add both simplicity and complexity to our lives. And as a subset of that, AI will have lots of implications. And the last thing, speed is both the threat and the opportunity. Love it. Paul Sharon. Robin Lewis, Rick Barber, such a pleasure to speak with the three of you. I'm just going to say we're ready. Oh, I have to do a shout-out, of course, to Stephen Sparrow, who put this all together on very short notice. Stephen, I know you're listening, and I know you're retweeting everything. I've been tweeting my tootsies off here, and thank you very much. So I'm just going to say thank you to everyone for listening. We have a great audience around the world. We appreciate your being fans of Game Changers Radio. We are 38 series strong right now and launching even more later this year. Who knew? So here's my call to action. Fasten your seatbelt. I love a designer seatbelt. I don't know. When Robin gets me that 3D printer from my beautifully redesigned garage, maybe I'll be able to make my own seatbelt. Fasten your seatbelt. <laughs> what are you waiting for? Go out and be a game changer today. Just like Robin Lewis, just like Paul Sharon, and just like Rick Barber. Bonnie D. Graham signing off. Have a great one. Be back tomorrow is Thursday, 10 a.m. I'll be back with one of our game changer shows on the Business Channel. Go look for us. Bye-bye. Thanks again for tuning in to Game Changing Retail Leaders, presented by SAP. The best run SAP. To keep the conversation going, tweet your questions and comments to Twitter hashtag SAPRADIO. Please join host Bonnie D. Graham again Wednesdays at 11 a.m. Pacific, 2 p.m. Eastern Time on the Business Channel. We wish you a positively game-changing week.